0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's September 21st,
1: 1958, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors.
0: So it was on this day that the Royal Navy destroyer Diana asked the Icelandic Coast Guard for permission to come into port to seek treatment for a Royal Marine with acute appendicitis. Normally that would have passed without comment, but this was 1958 and we're bang slap middle in the Cod War. And no, I did not mistakenly say Cold War. I'm talking about an actual Cod War. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or a fish feud, as it was called at the time, before Fleet Street stumbled across the appropriate... I was going to say Monica, but that, even that sounds like a fish pun.
2: <laughs> I mean, it is hilarious as well that the, the two adversaries in what had been being called a war would have to contact each other and go, Oh, excuse me, sorry, one of my soldiers is sick. And would you mind if he just gets dropped off at the closest port that has a hospital there? And it's astonishing that the other side goes, Yes, actually, drop your, drop your man off. We'll, uh, we'll see what we can do for him.
1: Well, the other side being Iceland. I feel like, I mean, their general reputation in in matters of war and international cooperation would be, they would be the guys to say, yes, come and use our hospital.
0: Yeah, and the PR side of it was particularly important to Iceland because the entire international community was basically opposed to their actions. Um, So what had caused this cod War was that Iceland announced, kind of out of the blue, that they had decided to extend their territorial waters from four nautical miles to 12 nautical miles, which put quite a...
1: This out-of-the-blue announcement only came after a very controversial announcement to extend from three nautical miles to four nautical miles earlier in the 1950s, and I feel we should cover that too.
2: Yeah, this is Code War 2 of 4 that we're uh, engaged you keeping <laughs> engaged up Those right of you who
1: haven't been waiting eagerly for our episode on North Atlantic fisheries. <laughs> I think it's probably worth actually just saying even what the three nautical miles thing is, because this astonished me, because for about 200 years prior to 1956, the generally agreed global definition of territorial waters, batty as it is, was based on the distance of a cannon shot. The so-called cannon shot rule gives you three nautical miles, which is about five and a half kilometres. So in the 17th century, that limit roughly corresponded to the outer range of coastal artillery weapons and therefore reflected the principle tere dominum finitur, ubi finitur, amororium (laughs) vis. The dominion of the land ends where the range of weapons ends. So it was actually just sensible. To, it was just saying, look, don't stray into the line of fire of the country in question because they'll, they'll shoot at you and your boat will sink. Or equally, <laughs> don't try and defend territory that you can and can't reach. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was sort of globally accepted by countries, including Iceland and Britain, not the US, who had already determined that it had the right to all natural resources on its continental shelf. <laughs> but most people in the world until 1956 generally agreed that the territorial waters was three nautical miles, but then Iceland asked for four.
0: Yeah, well, Iceland is not currently known for its jingoistic attitude, but at the time it was having a bit of a nationalist moment. It was starting to feel itself. It played quite an important strategic role in the Cold War, not Cod War, um, (laughs) because of its location between Greenland and the USSR. It's like sitting right at the mouth of the North Atlantic. And so, yeah, Iceland was feeling itself and the international community was kind of like... Um, that doesn't seem like something that you should be doing. But the only country that really cared was Britain because of ports like Grimsby and Hull, whose trawlers were used to fishing in those waters. So Britain basically just said, no, we're going to just ignore that. We'll just stick to the old limit. And so it led to these really strange standoffs between massive Royal Navy destroyers and Iceland's seven gunboats.
1: And what happened to try and defend Britain's right to fish in these waters is in 1952, the UK banned the import of Icelandic fish um, because although the Icelanders obviously considered the fish a vital part of their economy uh, because 11% of the island is permanently frozen, they have no other exportable Resource and fish represented 89% of their exports. The majority of those exports was to the UK, where in Britain we were consuming 430,000 tonnes of cod per year at the time. So (laughs) Britain thought, well, we've got the upper hand here. We want to fish there. And if we don't buy it, they can't sell it to anybody. And then what happened is the Soviets got wind of this, which is kind of brilliant, And we're like, aha.
0: (laughs) They rang up Iceland and they're like, I would like to place an order for 5,000 tons of cod.
1: It's actually that. Every cod you can pull out of sea, I want it. (laughs) And then the US got wind of that and offered to buy the Icelandic fish instead. So suddenly there was a bidding war for Icelandic fish.
0: You can see why Iceland was feeling pretty pretty pleased with itself yeah. at the time.
1: <laughs> so Britain then yeah. had to concede and the world said yes. OK, Iceland has a four nautical mile limit. So that had already been established. Britain, the bigger country, was already on the back foot here. But coming back to Rebecca's point about the HMS Diana,
2: which is this super serious like destroyer that the UK had sent to patrol these waters in the, this second Cod War in the late 1950s. I looked up what the Diana had aboard, and it had six 4.5-inch guns, two 40-millimeter Bofors guns, five torpedo tubes, and one sort of anti-submarine mortar. I mean, this was a serious weapon taking on these Icelandic Coast Guard who were really just coming aboard the British trawlers armed with truncheons and very little else.
0: And that's what happened in this instance as well, is that the HMS Diana steamed off into port with the sick marina board and then out pops the Icelandic Coast Guard, who sail off and board one of the trawlers that the ship had been protecting from, it was either Harlow Grimsby and it was called the Painter, I think. There was a scuffle with the crew and the Icelandic Coast Guard were able to subdue these very upset Northeasterners. And that was the first arrest of the war. However, the Icelandic government then ordered the Coast Guard to stand down because they didn't want it to look like they had taken advantage of this Marine's illness. And it actually ended up being addressed by the Prime Minister, Herman Jónison, who had some pretty spicy rhetoric. He said, They subdued the trawler's crew, which should make it evident to the British how their trawlers are going to fare when they're not under the wing of warships. But then he added, (laughs) I do not wish to give our foes such an excellent weapon.
1: And the strategy that they employed diplomatically, the reason why, ultimately, Iceland has always won in these battles, despite them being the smaller country, despite Britain deploying the Royal Navy at a cost of God knows what, is because they threatened to leave NATO... Their situational significance to the United States was much more important than the US's relationship with Britain that wasn't going to disintegrate over fish.
0: There was one incident early on in the conflict where Icelanders were protesting outside the British embassy and the ambassador, a chap called Andrew Gilchrist, responded by playing bagpipe music and military marches from his gramophone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a colonial man of the old school, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it was very common, apparently, for trawlers to play things like Royal Britannia over their radios when they were being intercepted. So, you know, there, there was a farcical element to it, too. And something about, like, the low-aggression energy that both sides really came into this with it's kind of encapsulated in 1974 the so-called cs Forrester incident the titular trawler was caught inside icelandic waters first it was shelled with non-explosive rounds which i guess are kind of like rubber bullets but for boats Uh, and then it was towed to shore the skipper was imprisoned for 30 days and the ship's owner was fined thousands of pounds for the return of the boat however the icelandic government did let it go home with 200 tons of fish on board
1: <laughs> we don't want to waste that fish. I do wonder when you look at the costs that the Royal Navy incurred. Did you know that cod can travel up to 200 miles to reach breeding grounds during the mating season? I just wonder if it would have been better to have invented some sort of technology to get the cod to swim to Grimsby. <laughs> I knew you were cod leaders. I mean, it does, like, you know, if you really put the nation's best scientists on it...
0: Well, the Cod War did actually lead to one fantastic invention. It may not have taught us how to lure cod to our own shores. However... Because of the shortage of Icelandic cod being imported during the conflict, it led to an unexpected development, the popularisation of the battered sausage. Ah. Yes, I mean, it wasn't the first time sausage would be battered. Obviously, anyone can batter a sausage, and I'm sure it had been done casually many times. <laughs> but it was the first time it became a staple of chip shop menus as owners looked around for things that would be an alternative to the then ubiquitous cod.
2: According to the marine research organisation Oceanos, it's kind of Good that Iceland actually came out on top in this series of, you know, wars, if they were wars, um, because they have become the poster country for good, responsible and sustainable fishing practice, whereas Mm. actually the UK, uh, only a third of the UK's key fishing populations are not overfished. So actually, of all the people who you want looking after that particular area of fishable ocean, it's probably the Icelandic rather than the Brits.
1: You know, there's something about talking about fish, That makes me smell fish? (laughs) Do you get that?
0: (laughs) No. Uh, You've gone into call in radio mode.
2: (laughs) It's the most unpleasant form of synesthesia there is. Particularly when people say salted cod.
1: That just immediately makes me smell like fish market. Oh, no, it's good. I like it. Mm. I feel
0: like I'm standing on the deck of a trawler with lots of sea air in my nostrils.
1: Mm. Tomorrow
2: terribly frightened about the situation, actually climbed to the top of the house and just watched the fires burning.
1: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash retrospectors.